0: And I'm calling from Fredericksburg, Virginia, where I have two children, ages 3.25 and one and a half, and I've been listening to your parenting messages since I was pregnant. If you want to feel confident and informed when making your parenting choices in the face of everyone, your parents, your in-laws, your friends, the media, and most importantly, yourself, then your parenting mojo is the podcast for you. This podcast has allowed me to prepare for the inevitable struggles of raising children and to decide ahead of time how I want to handle the difficult situations that arise. It is giving me the tools to make sure that I am parenting within my values, but also effectively, so that my whole family is comfortable with our rules and expectations and our freedoms. The information information presented here makes the kind of sense that is so well organized when you hear it you feel empowered to implement it right away go to your parentingmojo.com forward slash subscribe for easy access to all the good stuff
1: hello and welcome to the your parenting mojo podcast i wonder what things you remember most from your school experience Elementary school was fine for me because I'd figured out how to deliver what the teachers wanted and I could do it fairly quickly, so schoolwork wasn't difficult. It wasn't that hard in high school either, but of course there the social factors became much more important and that was a much bigger challenge for me. My guest today is parent Claire, who remembers enjoying elementary school, but by high school she just couldn't see the connection between the things she was actually interested in and what she was learning in school. Her most productive learning experiences came through extracurricular art classes with mostly retired classmates at an art school and a theater production in which she and other students put on entirely by themselves, getting advice from teachers, but messing up and then fixing their mistakes by themselves. Claire knew that she'd discovered interest-led learning and wanted that to be the core of her daughter's experience, so much so that she got herself worked up into a bit of a tizzy because her daughter might one day attend public school. After she joined the Supporting Your Child's Learning membership, she realized that whether her child was in school or not, there was a lot she could do to support her child's intrinsic love of learning at home. As her daughter transitioned from the simpler questions of age two to the more complex involved ones of age three, their family grew by one and suddenly her daughter was motivated to start writing really important signage around their house to confirm her place in the family. I'll let Claire tell you more about that. Claire started homeschooling from a place of fear and overwhelm, but now she feels much more relaxed. She's becoming her daughter's guide on the side who takes cues from her learner rather than the sage on the stage who takes advantage of every teachable moment to impart a lesson. And she sees that modeling the self-compassion that she didn't learn herself until recently is a critical part of her daughter's education plan. She doesn't need a curriculum for that learning because her daughter's interests drive it. Claire knows how to see learning where it's already happening, provide just the right amount and type of support to help her child manage her own learning, which all children are capable of doing if we'll just let them, and also bolster skills like critical thinking, metacognition, and full-bodied learning that she can use to explore any topic under the sun. And now let's welcome Claire. Hi, Jen. Thank you. Good to be here. So I wonder, could you kick us off maybe by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are in the world, and what kind of things are important to you and your family?
2: Yeah, let's see. I live in central Virginia with my husband and our two kids who are almost four and nine months. And we spend a lot of time outside as a family, mostly at home, sort of tending to our little land here. And that's really driven a lot of, you know, what at least my oldest, who's almost four, her interests and her learning is really just so much of, of it is us being together as a family outside doing sort of the things that we love to do. You know, I'm fortunate where I am right now. I'm not working outside the home. And so it's being with my kids is loving to do it right now. So
1: can you tell us a bit more about your land and what that means to you and your family? Yeah. Let's see. We live on
2: four acres in a somewhat rural environment. We're up on top of a hill that has woods going down to a floodplain and creek that leads into the city's reservoir. Some sort of public land up against us. What's interesting is that it's sort of ambiguous as to whose land it is there by the floodplain. And especially during COVID, we found a lot of homeowners up along that public easement where the tributary comes into the reservoir would you know, walk around and people were like, we don't know. Like it was sort of our little commons and it was this beautiful thing. You know, everyone sort of tends to trails along there and sort of wild sort of suburban <laughs> environment. My husband and I are both trained as landscape architects and artists. And I spent lots of years in my twenties farming. And so, you know, we sort of tried to have our little homestead that, <laughs> you know, work with our kids Raising ducks and chickens and gardening and sort of, you know, reforesting to some small extent that we can. But, you know, caring for the earth and other living things around us is very important to us. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we spend a lot of time doing.
1: Yeah. How does that show up in the ways that your daughter spends her time outside? She really likes plants. Somehow she has a really good memorization. At the age of two and a
2: half, she was correcting her grandparents on the Latin name for cone flower. it's no Papu, it's Echinacea. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? I mean, this is just sort of stuff that's natural to her because it's just me and her dad talking about all this stuff. But, you know, learning, you know, where wild grows and the times of year that all these, you know, that plants fruit. And, you know, we used to think, I remember my husband being like, is that thing poisonous? Is that thing poisonous? We got to take it out before we have kids. And I'm like, no, like this is so valuable. They will learn, like what is safe and what's not, and that's all part of living somewhere. and and it really has been. In fact, my daughter just got over a bout of salmonella from related to the chickens. We think, but now she's like knows it's like the rhythm of washing hands has like really stuck. So I bet (laughs) (laughs) anyone gets salmonella in order to learn these things, but you know. the sort of learning that takes place here is really just from living it.
1: Yeah. Nothing like experiencing salmonella to so get hand washing to stick. <laughs> really rough. So you joined the the learning membership almost a year ago now. And I'm curious about what yeah. kinds of things you were doing to support mostly your daughter's learning because she was the older one, right? And your younger child is not really quite there yet. But what mm-hmm. kind of things were you doing to support her learning before you joined
2: Primarily, I was very protective of her play and her free time. And, you know, we had practiced rye more or less when she was younger. And I think a lot of that sort of my ideas of rye were sort of like you let them do what they're going to do. And you just sort of like watch this flower blossom. And it it really was like that to a large extent, you know, more than sort of what my natural inclination would be like how I was raised and everyone else interacts with babies, which is that you have to teach them how to crawl or whatever, pick up something. But, you know, so we wouldn't even suggest things for her to do ever. Like it was like, if we would do things as a family or, you know, she'd help out with chores and stuff, but I wouldn't get out toys for her or, you know, so all this stuff was like, she always worked through that sort of, boredom but I mean is it even possible that a two-year-old can get bored it's like everything's so exciting so anyway just being very protective of her free time giving her that the opportunities to seek things out and trying to let her play as much as she could in the way she wanted providing lots of art materials and ways for her to experiment with stuff and being outside together exploring Mm. yeah those were the ways we were supporting her and were you already thinking about homeschooling then? Before joining the membership, I had been doing quite a bit of research on child-led learning and actually sort of gotten myself quite worked up about, oh my God, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can do public school. And yeah, I had really sort of been like, this is really what I believe in, child-led learning. And interestingly, joining the membership has sort of opened me up like, oh, well, it wouldn't be the end of the world, you know? if she went to school, we would be able to find ways to support her.
1: Mm-hmm. I assume um, you went to school. Is that right? I did. Kay. Yeah. So what was school like? Very for you? schooled. School for me,
2: I think I pretty much enjoyed school until middle school or high school. And then I was very much turned off from it. I was not interested in most of school and I think like everyone else I knew, like saw no relevance to the things we were learning. But I mean, I had some great opportunities in the art through my school, which were very meaningful for me in high school primarily. So it was tough because there were some really amazing experiences that were really student led that were
1: were really incredible. Funny um, on that works, isn't it? Yeah, Things right. <laughs> you really remember, the student-led experiences. <laughs> Fancy that. Yeah. Because I had
2: that, you know, I went into the arts later on, like mm-hmm. through college and stuff. So,
1: yeah, no, I, I, it seems though there's some memories coming up there. And <laughs> it's just really interesting to trace that path, right? Conventional schooling says you're supposed to do well in a bunch of topics and then go and get advanced education in one of them. And you launch into a career where you can make a good deal of money. And you latched onto something that was something, you, an experience that you had designed. And that took you towards a path that I assume has not been the most lucrative in the world. But my hunch is from you that, that this is something that's important to you and that resonates with you and that is still present in how you're living your life today, even if you're not technically working outside the home right now.
2: Yeah, it really was. You know, when I was in high school, I got to take art classes with a bunch of retired people at an art school in Philadelphia, which was just remarkable. And I also was in a um, like a theater group or at my high school, but the students did everything. I mean, you know, I was in charge of the set design and, you know, we had the power tools out and, every, you know, we just completely did it. We got feedback from awesome faculty, but it was just our thing to mess up and figure out how to fix and everything like that so that was definitely really formative for me and you know those passions were quite specific and my higher education was also art school and, and all that so yeah there's some questions for me I'm, I'm like about it all but to me I think that's what drove me to learn more and go forth seek you know people with common interests and stuff like that and I, yeah what i Want for my kids and for everyone to be able mm-hmm. to do something like.
1: That. Yeah, you went to school yourself. You're thinking, okay, I want a different kind of experience for my child. Was there any degree of uncertainty about embarking on that journey? What was that process? Yeah, like? deciding that Definitely. homeschooling Definitely. might I mean, be something. I think. Floor. I think
2: a lot of it is in talking to my family and my husband's family about it and wanting to make sure I am sort of covering our bases. Like, is this a good idea? Or, you know, like, how can I talk to people about this who don't like have a natural affinity towards this or who've never even heard of unschooling, which I hadn't until very, you know, pretty recently. So, and just having the community was really important to me. I know locally we have like the homeschooling quite a good homeschooling community, but my kids aren't really school age yet. So we haven't really been able to tap into that. So this has, you know, been really great to see other parents, like really intelligent, like just involved and interested people. So I think that's really been so nice to see like people coming from so many different places doing this sort of thing for their Mm -hmm.
1: kids. Yeah. What was it like then to get started in the membership? You were coming at it Mm -hmm. from a sense of, yes, I'm interested in homeschooling. I'm not quite sure how this is all going to work. What were you looking for? Like what support were you looking for? And what did you find? How did all that feel once you were starting to get into the content?
2: I felt the content was like really easy to consume and get started on. I really appreciated the sort of concrete steps, particularly with, you know, starting documentation and learning journals, basically sort of ways for the parent to really see and observe changes and learning. And of course, that's hard to keep up with, especially with a baby. I'm hopeful that it changes over time. <laughs> Different kinds of challenges.
1: Then they get interested yeah. in their own stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah. I found that to be really great because I hadn't really been documenting that stuff. Let's see, what else? How did it feel to get started? I guess it just, it was a lot of stuff I had already sort of been doing, but I think, you know, as my kid was really, you know, she turned three, I think a month before the memberships started, which really was a big difference from, you know, where she had been in her twos and sort of asking more complicated questions. And so I think through the membership sort of specific how to but ways of approaching conversations when my kids like asking me questions about the world and that's been really really useful particularly when she has made ideas that like if you heard from an adult you'd be like really horrified <laughs> uh-huh. I remember like one of the first episodes on your podcast that I listened to was like is my toddler a racist or mm-hmm. you know like those you're like wow that happened now we've got to talk about this and like I need to be able to talk to you about this in a way that doesn't steer you down a really resistant path towards you know tolerance and acceptance
1: yeah so my kid's really strong-willed and okay what kinds of learning explorations have you gotten involved what paths has she led you down
2: (laughs) right as the membership was getting started she got really interested in letters and in writing and it all started because I just had a baby and her preschool had hand-painted sign, you know, saying, welcome to the world. Hooray, big sister, Lily. and Or the teachers had signed everyone's name. And she brought it home. We put it up in my bedroom and I'd be nursing the baby. And my daughter every day would ask me to read everyone's name. Isabella, Wes, you know, and we go through. And it must have been like weeks of this. And until finally she would, and I'm going like, oh my God. <laughs> but this is what got her interested in reading or, I mean, she doesn't read yet, but in letters and writing. Yeah. So she just found this way in and it was almost sneaky. I didn't quite realize it at first, at first it was sort of annoying. Like, do we have to read this sign again? But, you know, through that, she's gotten into all sorts of things. She, you know, is like pen pals with her grandmother and write signs you know on the doors to keep no cats allowed no babies allowed things like this that it's like things are so relevant to her (laughs) absolutely no babies allowed doesn't get more relevant Mm -hmm. than that does it (laughs) one was mommy don't you dare come in (laughs) okay She's asking me mommy how do you spell mommy don't you dare come in
1: (laughs) <laughs> okay like, okay let me think about that one <laughs> yeah yes there's the immediate we're learning how to write here right and then there's also the she's obviously exploring feelings about your relationship that's ultimately what's being explored right it ah. seems as though it's about writing a sign but actually it's about what is my place in this family now that the structure of it has yeah, changed
2: that's really true I didn't really think about it like that but so much of the writing has been about that about relationships with other people and that gives her a tool yeah to communicate and and tell us what she's needing or wanting and Mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah Which, yeah, of course, that's what writing is, right? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I remember reading about a preschool, I forget exactly where it was, but they had a sign-up sheet to write your name on or you make your mark to indicate you were next in line for the swing because there was only one swing. Oh, nice. I mean, what's more relevant to a child in the playground at school than when I make my mark, that means Mm -hmm. that they know that my turn is coming up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah,
1: when these things are relevant to our children's lives, then they naturally become more interested in them. So I'm also Um, curious about what kinds of shifts that you have seen in yourself over time. More challenging question. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, how are you feeling about homeschooling at the beginning of this journey? Did it seem, yeah, we're going to homeschool and I know what I'm doing. And how has that shifted over the last year or so?
2: I think I'm feeling maybe a little less like defensive about it or like, almost came to it out of like fear that you could read a lot about, you know, how wretched schools are, which for me, is sort of difficult because I have family, you know, both of my kids, grandmothers, you know, were either teachers or really involved in education. And so it was like, I'm like reading this stuff and I'm thinking about my experience and I'm like, I can't like approach this. Like I have a good relationship with my mother-in-law and mom and, you know, our parents and everything. So I think what's changed for me is I think I'm seeing it more as like, instead of like, here's our path and like, this is what we're doing and resist, resist, you know, the status quo, like here's where we are right now. This is like how we're doing things. And it's like really great for the most part. And like everyone's seeing, you know, my daughter grow and learn like in the context that we've, in way we've sort of chosen to live our lives. and And it's really quite, remarkable so I guess I to me I'm just seeing it more as like things we do every day you know they're going to change I'm going to change my kids are going to change and that's okay Like we don't need to have it all planned out and I don't have to like write my dissertation to present to my
1: <laughs> parents <laughs> 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 there was a plan and this is why <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is why I can't follow what has been your career path for decades um, what's important for me to tease out is this is not a rejection of teachers for me, it's a rejection of the system that teachers are constrained within. I mean, a lot of teachers know that the way that they want to teach that builds deep relationships, that is yeah. really responsive to an individual's child's needs, you can't do in schools the way they're currently conceived of because everybody's required to learn the same material to the same standard. And so you can't be locally community responsive. You can't follow a child's interest because it's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday it's time to study, you know, pendulum movements, not why are all the slugs out on the sidewalk because it rained last night. I really think that most teachers would teach in the kinds of ways that we're interacting with our homeschool children if they could. And it's a failure yeah. of our education system that we force teachers to work within a system that doesn't work for children. And frankly, it doesn't really work for the teachers either, right? I mean, it demeans their knowledge and their professional experience and expertise and says, we're going to tell you how to do it. And then we're going to hold you accountable for the results.
2: I remember some incredible mentor, you know, teachers over the years and every single one of them was incredibly frustrated with the system. I I mean, that's just like how it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they were probably doing their very best to Mm -hmm. create relationships with you, to have meaningful learning activities for you within the constraint that they had to make sure that Mm -hmm. you could answer X on correctly on a standardized test at the end. And yeah, the fact that we force teachers to try to think of creative ways that do things outside the box that actually get you engaged in learning that's meaningful to you while also making sure that everybody has this equivalent standard. It puts teachers in an impossible situation, in my opinion. So this this is not a rejection of teaching at all. And so I guess you're having these conversations with your family members and starting to feel as though this doesn't have to be, I'm rejecting everything that you have (laughs) spent your life working on. You're getting more confident in basically doing the things that you love to do in school (laughs) and working on those kinds of experiences with a very young child. Were there times when you felt stuck when you didn't know what you were doing? You didn't know how to move forward? What was that like to be stuck? And how did you get unstuck? Where did you end up going?
2: It sort of came from like the rye, the sort of steeped in rye, which is not, it's like it's hands off, but like in a lot of ways, it's like, just let the baby explore. They don't need to use the spoon like a spoon. I think I got a little tripped up in some ways with finding Ways to scaffold learning without just being like, I'm just gonna watch you. You know, at a certain point, you know, I guess I've just found like in the preschool years, at least with my daughter, it's like she really seemed to like want to know more rather than just sort of like play willy nilly with something. She's often there too, of course. But so I think about a month ago, you know, she had sort of been asking a lot about airplanes, and we had done some travel in the past few months. And, you know, we often have visiting family. I think she'd asked a question, like, how does an airplane fly? And I had been sort of like, Oh, we're going to go to the library and we're going to get out some books and you know, <laughs> we find the section on planes in the library, and we got like all these books. And she pulled out one about gravity and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but, and I wasn't even really thinking. But we got home, and it's like she is the type of kid that once you start something, she wants to finish it all the way through, no matter what it is. It's like, so I think we had like ten or twelve books, and she's like, this one, okay, read them all. Like we just get home through the door, we have to read them all. I don't care. My brother needs to nap whatever so you know we're reading them I'm like she's not into this like you know she's trying she really wants to be mm-hmm. I guess because we started it mm-hmm. you know and so I guess it was sort of like finding like what was she actually interested in and so after that it was like we read them and then she didn't ever want to read them again and we held on to them for three weeks and then eventually I'm like okay time to return them what happened here but sort of in the background you know she'd been playing various games by herself like setting up blankets on the floor you know this is the airplane we're going on a trip and I basically realized like as I was sort of watching her and in the moments when I wasn't really paying attention that it was really much more about like how flying on an airplane can like take you places like really far away or like around the world and like so for her it was just much more about like oh being able to go places like see new things and I guess like in my excitement about like here we go. Learning exploration. First at the library. I don't think I'm even necessarily quite there. I'm sort of like, what is my role? Almost like, how can I provide like just a little bit to get her to sort of the next like stepping stone? But you know, not take over, or not overwhelm, or or go off on a track that she's not actually looking for. So I think yeah, it's like finding what is she actually interested in, and it's not straightforward.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it isn't. And I think that speaks so clearly to the module that we have on listening. One idea that I take out of that module is listening to your child with the idea that you might be the one who comes out of this experience changed, right? We go into a learning interaction with our child, assuming, well, I'm the adult, I hold the knowledge. And so I'm going to transmit that knowledge to you (laughs) and you will listen and you will have the knowledge. What we're doing here is we're completely reimagining that journey to not just listen to what is the question the child is asking, but what's the real question underneath that, right? And you're getting practice at doing that because in our culture, the the initial question is frankly, the only one that has any relevance (laughs) and and that can be answered with library books. And sometimes that is actually the question our child is asking, but what you're discovering is that often there are other questions underneath that initial question that are very often about relationships and coming back to what is my place in the world? (laughs) How do I fit in here? And those are not always questions that can be answered with library books. (laughs) So she's finding ways to explore those through her play. And so, yeah, we can get some books on flying and and enjoy those and also learn to listen and really hear the question that our child is asking underneath that.
2: For sure. You know, like she's still so young to sort of them like I find myself in this place where I'm wondering, like, is it necessary to, to like really push it further? Like she doesn't really need to know, like you're saying, like we have to pour it in like, she's going to find it out on her own for the most part anyway. But you know, it's often like, I'll like come in with a little thing and maybe it interests her a little bit for a while, or it's sort of a little thing to do, but yeah, it's more often than not. I'm finding like, I even do that the better. And it's just sort of the things that are happening, like naturally, like the things that her dad and I are interested in, and just doing as a family. And then that sparks the own set of questions and conversations, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's really easy to get down that rabbit hole of I need to be the teacher. And very often, yes, it can be interesting and useful. But frankly, at that age, they're going to forget most of what we talk to them about in a year anyway. <laughs> and so parents often ask, well, why am I even bothering to do this then? <laughs> if my child's going to forget everything that we talk about. And so I think the critical part for me is not what the child retains. If the child retains nothing, it doesn't matter. What we're doing here is we're establishing a pattern of what happens happens when I express an interest to my parent or caregiver? How does my parent or caregiver respond? Is that sort of shut down with a, I don't know, and we're not going to talk about it anymore and stop asking questions? Or is it sort of semi shut down by jumping right to Google? And well, what does Google say is the answer? And then, well, that now we have the answer. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. Or does my parent sit with me and wonder... I don't know. How does that work? (laughs) And help me to explore what I already know about that. And then listen to me deeply and find out what's my real question and work to explore that. That's what the habit that we're setting up for ourselves and for our children through these kinds of interactions. And so whether she retains any information whatsoever from any of those 10 books about (laughs) flight is irrelevant in my mind. But you're starting that habit already of responding to her in a way that treats her interests as serious and worthy of serious study and learning, and that's what she'll retain and carry forward, and that's what's going to make this deeper and so much more fun the older she gets.
2: Yeah, and actually, we had sort of this funny thing today. She was like, Oh, I want to do an experiment, and I'm like, Oh, okay. She said, I wonder what will happen if I pour water in a paper bag, and I was like, And she goes, I wonder, I'm like, Oh, that's like you know what I normally say. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I wonder if we could do that outside, (laughs) you know. So she collected her (laughs) materials and we all went outside. But it was sort of this fun little thing where she was sort of repeating back, like, what typically happens when she does ask a question. You know, I do try to sit with that. Like, I wonder, you know. Often I get distracted and, you know, whatever. But sort of leaving that open. And in that case, she was like, let's go find out. Like, let's test it. And it was really cool to see that, even though that pretty much she just like poured it in the bag and, you know, then we're outside playing, whatever. But it was sort of that like next step from like, why is the earth round? I wonder. Eh. But, you know, towards like the next step of trying to figure it out on her own. And, you know, she often has these like, theories about things if I don't answer her her question (laughs) that are just like I mean often I'm like I have no idea what this is but you know but she does really have theories about the world and how it works and you know sometimes it's really close to what I view as reality other times it's not at all and it's it's fun to hear her share that and you know if I hold my tongue and don't correct or try to push it even further it's clear that she just wanted somebody to tell Mm -hmm. this is what I think about things and stuff and it's like such an honor you know to hear have her say those things to me
1: yeah absolutely I love that paper bag example because I think it perfectly illustrates the two qualities that we want our children to have, right? As self-directed learners, which is I see gaps in my learning and I'm motivated (laughs) to close those gaps, right? Not every time I might think, oh yeah, I'm interested in that, but I'm not interested enough to actually spend time on it because I've got this other thing I'm interested in. And I'm just going to hold that as a sort of tangential idea. But when I see a gap in my knowledge, I am motivated to close it. And then secondly, I know how to close it right because she has the skills to be able to wonder and then hypothesize and then think well could we actually test this and what would we need to test it well we need a paper bag and we need a glass of water and <laughs> and so she's demonstrating those two principles so clearly and she has them and so many young children have them and their experiences in school teach them it doesn't really matter what you're curious about what you're interested in because you need to learn what's on the curriculum and it doesn't really matter if you know how to close gaps in your knowledge because we're going to tell you how to close the gaps. We're just going to give you the information you need. And she is taking on that responsibility for herself. And we talk in the membership about your role is not to be the sage on the stage to tell her what's going to happen when you pour water in a paper bag, but to be the guide on the side who says, I don't know, paper bags are under the sink. (laughs) Water's in the tap. Let's go figure it out together. And so those are exactly the kinds of experiences that are setting her up to continue this path of being a learner who directs her own education. And she's four, right? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) She's so early in this journey. I mean, the two of you have this beautiful path ahead of you where Mm. you can kind of sit back and relax a little bit and know that she has these skills already and that your job is just to kind of be there around the edges, providing a little bit of support. And you're already doing that. That's super
2: cool. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to just sort of like hear them you know, I can definitely like foresee areas in the future where I'm like, I hope I can be comfortable just being the guide on the side. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like, you know, early on, I think there's less like fear involved as the parent responsible for the learning, you know, Mm -hmm. but like just from doing this for, you know, I just really do see all that can come from it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really just wonderful to be able to sort of trust in process. And I feel like so fortunate that I've like found like people to support me and like doing this stuff that like, just feels so right and natural. And it's not stuff I would have done if I hadn't like found your community and, you know, rye people and stuff. It's definitely not. But everything about it is just, to me, is just Feels and rings to be so true and so right. It just has, been good for me.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I just want to address the the sort of elephant in the room of, but there's math in high school and, <laughs> and all the things that parents are terrified of. So usually somehow it's math. <laughs> and the idea that just because we may not know a lot of advanced calculus or whatever it is, that a child needs to know, that doesn't mean that we can't effectively support our child, right? Some states, there are going to be regulations that say your child must be performing at grade level. And so, So then we come from the perspective of, well, we love homeschooling and we want to continue spending most of our time doing this. In order to do that, we need to demonstrate you can do these things. So let's spend a week. working through this content and we'll take the test at the end. And if you pass the test, we're done. If you don't pass the test, we'll go back and review some of the stuff you had a hard time with. We'll take the test again. And so we're sort of approaching it from a perspective of this is what we need to do to keep doing the stuff that we love to do in the short term. And then in the long term, it's really based on, well, where does my child want to go, right? If your child wants to be a physical therapist or a marine biologist or whatever it is, they're going to need some math for that. They're going to need some stats for that. And chances are, if your child is gung-ho on marine biology or whatever that topic is, it may be something they fall in love with. It may be something they're like, I don't really like this, but I recognize it's necessary for the path that I want to be on. And therefore, because I have chosen that path myself, and it's not a path that somebody else is forcing me to walk that, yeah, I'm willing to spend time doing this stuff that I don't particularly enjoy because I want that thing so much at the end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, we do that all all the time ourselves, right? We do things that we don't particularly enjoy because we want to do the thing at the end that's, that's really valuable to us. And our children can do that too, if we trust them to choose a path that works for them and support them through that whole process of understanding how do you make those kinds of decisions? How can you test them out? How can you figure out if yes, this is really the thing I want to do, or is it just a thing I want to do for a couple of years and that's okay. And then I get to pivot and change and do something different. So
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. Giving them the opportunity to discover what they really love and that it's not just a single path, Yes, you know, there's so many different ways you can go about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Is there anything about your journey that you would like to share with parents who are sort of earlier in the decision-making process about homeschooling, about how to support your child's love of learning that you wish that you had known? I just
2: always sort of think like it's that it's more sort of on the parenting advice. Mm. I don't know how aware you are that like I joined the parenting membership like 9 months after <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like a lot of it has to do with community, I think, because yeah. you know it's hard to find people in my just physical everyday life that do parent this way and you know share really similar values. So for me, it's really just been to have the community and hear other people, you know, their struggles and ways they're working through things and stuff. But I don't know. I sort of look back on things now, especially since they have like another child, you know, who's nine months, I sort of think I'm back on like times when I was so nervous about something with my daughter. And now it's, I'm like, it's okay. Like with sleep, for example, you know, I was so afraid, like, oh, she's not sleeping independently or whatever. Like, you know, if it's bedtime, like I have to put her to bed and leave. Like, I can't just let her work it out with me on the bed for a little bit before, you know, get her comfortable and and so, like, now I'm just, like, with my son, I guess with just the normal things, you don't think about learning. It's just more, like, parenting. Of course, it is learning. He's learning how to sleep and play on his own and stuff like that. But to just sort of, like, trust that it's okay. Like, there's not, like, a single way you have to start and continue. And, you know, it's so hard to, like, I don't want to, you can't just tell people, relax. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you know, you have to live it through that and do it. But, like... Just like trust in your what feels good for you and like what feels good for your pit and just work your way through that together, that you can figure it out together, not just think like, why isn't it happening? Where do I need to find
1: the right information to get this right? You know. I mean, that's such an amazing metaphor for parenting, for life, for supporting our children on their learning journey, right? That mm-hmm. to trust yourself and trust your child and that with a community of support you can do this you can yeah a community that like you really
2: feel that like really resonates with you because I you know I think I just through my coming of age my youth or and late 20s early 30s it was like I just felt so uncomfortable I always felt like you know this is not who I am you know there are certain things where it is and I just think I spent so much time like not embracing who I actually was even though like I you know, I was who I was but there was just a lot of shame and like hiding as well and so I yeah I think a lot of that was like not having my people but you know also a lot of other stuff from not being trusted as a kid and whether with my interests or my in my family with feelings and stuff
1: yeah so you're sort of learning to trust yourself Mm -hmm. And practicing trust with your child at the same time.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: In the parenting membership, we were having a
2: conversation about some challenge someone was having. And I had like been thinking about, you know, everyone talks about self-compassion. I was like, I don't understand what that is. It has been very recent that I finally understand what it is. Like even just the idea of it, I didn't get, you know, I really like, what? I'd never actually done that I and told myself like, this is hard. Like, this is not okay. Try harder or whatever, you know? But, and I sort of realized like, oh, this is what I tried to do for my kids. Like, and I can do that for myself as well. Like, yeah, it's just like, oh, that feels good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're interrupting cycles of intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. is what you're doing. And reparenting yourself and giving yourself the love and care and compassion that, you needed when you were a child and you're also giving that to your children and you're recognizing that you are worthy of the same care and compassion that you yeah. give towards your children right that's a profound lesson yeah it's really good because like when you get that
2: and you feel that like that's what helps you get out of whatever you're in you know not the like why aren't you just doing it, or, you know, not like self flagellation or, you know, all that stuff. It's so I think, you know, I just thought or believed or whatever had experienced that, like, yeah, if you give yourself a hard time.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what our culture teaches us. That's what school teaches us. That's what everything around us teaches us is if you're not doing it right, either because you don't have the knowledge, in which case get the knowledge. If you have the knowledge and you're still not doing it right, it's because you're not putting enough effort in. So Mm -hmm. put more effort in and then you'll be able to do it. And I mean, that's a recipe for burnout (laughs) and a recipe for shame and hiding parts of ourselves that feel unlovable because they seem unacceptable to other people. So yeah, so that we, most of us were taught that. And that's Mm -hmm. why that's so present for you. And I think a a lot of parents wonder, well, how do I get my kids to do hard things? How do I get my kid to stick with stuff? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I always answer, well, firstly, is sticking with it the right thing? (laughs) Because there Mm -hmm. are times when we sort of have this sunk cost and we think, oh, well, I've sunk so much into it. I have to ride this one through. When frankly, there are times when walking away is the better option. And secondly, is powering through the way to do that. Or should we be taking a step back and giving ourselves that self-compassion and asking ourselves, is this right for me? Does this feel right for me? If it is something I want to do, okay, how can I shift this situation to make it something that I can do, that I can be successful at? And if not, then still perhaps walking away is the best thing to do. We're not taught that. We're just taught, keep trying and keep, 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 keep going. (laughs) Then you will be successful (laughs) and then you'll be able to buy more stuff. (laughs) Yeah. fill the void in your life. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is created by you feeling unacceptable to send to other people. Just, it's so nice to like hear,
2: I think what you have provided, like in your membership, like, you know, through the online community too, it's like a lot of validation around like, this isn't your parents' fault or your fault. Like so much is like, this is what like, you know, white supremacist society does to people like of course you feel that way of course you do things this way of course it's hard to be compassionate to yourself and your kids I think that has been like really really helpful to hear all that like again and again you know and again um, (laughs) yes Yes. we need all those reminders
1: (laughs) yes yes we all do we all do Mm -hmm. yeah well this is not where I thought this conversation was going to end up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm so glad that it ended up here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you so much for being here, Claire. It was such an honor to talk with you and to go deeper, right? To hear mm. about the learning just the same as we're doing with your child is we're hearing what is the question on the surface and then what is the real thing that's going on underneath. And I'm so grateful that you let us into stuff that's going on. Oh, Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to Claire for letting us see into her world, and not just the everything's okay stuff on the surface, but the hard stuff that happens underneath as well. That was a real gift to me and to all of us.
0: Of all the places to get parenting advice, your parenting mojo has been the most consistently helpful, easy to implement, and effective that I've come across. I'm Brianna Watts from Fredericksburg, Virginia. And if you like this information, please pass it on to your friends, go to the website to subscribe. And by the way, as easy as it is to fast forward through ads, I think we can all agree that it's really convenient to be able to listen to this information without ads and also to support small businesses and really put our money where our mouth is for the kinds of things we want to support. So please consider being a patron of Jen's, buying her a cup of coffee, helping support the podcast and keeping this information out there for all of us so that we can use it to support our family's healthy growth and development. Thank you.